All right, I encourage you to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. I love singing the song, Jesus is Better, hearing you sing it. It reminds me of some series we've done through the Gospel of Mark and also the book of Hebrews. And I love that way of saying it that mirrors both of those authors. Uh, You could just say Jesus is best and get it done with. Um, But... By saying Jesus is better, Jesus is better, Jesus is better, it kind of builds. And it gives you the opportunity to really think about it and focus on all the different options uh, that are out there. So I'm really thankful to be reminded of that focus this morning. Well, we're continuing our Christmas series in Luke 1 and 2 this morning. I loved hearing Pastor Dan work through uh, Luke 1 Uh, 5 through 25 last week, and our goal is to look at verses 26 through 45 this morning. As you turn there, uh, let me get us started with just telling you one of the great joys of pastoral ministry. Uh, For me, one of the greatest joys of pastoral ministry is to celebrate with young families when they are expecting the birth of a baby. Uh, I've heard, by the way, some recent news about our congregation, uh, which I'm not going to tell you about. Uh, I'll leave it up to you to figure that out later today. Uh, not going to use the pulpit as a surprise birth announcement today. Uh, but we are going to look at an ancient birth announcement this morning and consider that together. Uh, two significant moments occur in the early months of most pregnancies. First, is the initial reveal, the moment that parents confirm that indeed uh, they are expecting. Uh, Now, due to modern medicine uh, with uh, ultrasounds and pregnancy tests, we can normally be quite certain uh, whether we're expecting or not. That is, unless those tests take place in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, which you can ask my wife about that if if you've got any questions. Uh, Regardless, uh, the initial reveal uh, is such a special private moment for couples, the time of thanksgiving and gratefulness. That's the first moment I'd consider. The second significant moment in early pregnancy is the birth announcement. And uh, one of the surest ways to find joy online is to scroll through social media and come across some couple that's announcing the birth of their uh, the, 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 you know, the, the pregnancy, the upcoming birth of their child. And, you know, there's all sorts of creative ways they do this these days. Um, they might put it on signs, chalkboards, calendars, might wear t-shirts, might use the older siblings as props, you know, to uh, tell people what's going on. Uh, baby shoes, ultrasound picks, road signs, other props of various shapes and sizes. Of course, I hope you realize that this is not the way things always have been. And this is not how it was with Mary, the mother of Jesus. Uh, This morning, we're going to consider these two scenes in Mary's life, though. The first, I would call the initial reveal, verses 26 through 38. The second is the birth announcement, uh, where she makes an announcement, verses 39 through 45, to a near relative. Uh, But as we go through these two scenes uh, in the Gospel of Luke in its first chapter today, I want you to pay close attention to how God arranged these things to 
emphasize how Mary responds. And uh, these are very familiar stories with us, and we can lose sight of, I think, the real point. I think, I think the gospel writer Luke's main emphasis here is to draw our attention to the way Mary responds as an encouragement for his readers to respond to God and his promise in the same way. Right? So we're going to go through both scenes, and at the end, we're going to think about Mary's response in in the initial reveal and her response in the birth announcement, and I'm going to call you to respond the same way. All right, so uh, let's begin uh, with the first scene. Uh, The first scene which is the initial reveal, verses 26 through 38. By the way, there are notes you can take in the bulletin. There's an insert you can follow that way as well. In this first scene I call the initial reveal, Mary learns she's going to have a baby. And the scene goes uh, from verses 26 through 38. Uh, It's broken up into two parts, in my opinion. You've got the setting kind of uncovered in the first few verses, and then what I call the the reveal itself in uh, verses that follow. So, Let's look first at the setting, uh, verses 26 and 27. It says, In the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now at the beginning of this first scene, Luke introduces the two characters of the scene. It's Gabriel and Mary. Gabriel is the same angel we heard about last week. This is the same angel who appeared six months before. If you're wondering what the six-month number is there, six months before he had appeared to Zechariah, and he gave a message to him about the birth of a child, son. But now uh, the angel Gabriel doesn't give the uh, announcement in the temple. He gives this one in a little city in Galilee named Nazareth. And that's the setting. This little town was the location of an amazing prediction for Mary. Uh, I love, I I read this several years ago, but I love how R. Kent Hughes describes Nazareth. He, He says, Mary was a nobody from a nothing town in the middle of nowhere. A nothing town in the middle of nowhere. Sounds like where some of you were born. As I've talked with you, some of your hometowns in the middle of wherever, Arizona, Arkansas, whatever. But notice how Luke further describes Mary. He says, he calls her a virgin betrothed to Joseph who was of David's house. You've got some words there that remind us of the Old Testament roots of Jesus, his heritage of David and uh, David's house. But you have a very important word at the beginning. He's She's a virgin betrothed to Joseph. And it has been in the last several hundred years that liberal scholars have really struggled with that translation of the Greek word. It's been in the last two, three hundred years that they say, well, the word for virgin doesn't mean that she had never known a man. It means that she was a young woman or a teenager. That liberal teaching, by the way, must be rejected. It goes against all of Orthodox Protestant theology, and it doesn't cohere, more importantly, it doesn't cohere with this text, because three times Luke affirms that she's a virgin, and he does so in verse 27 twice, but then it becomes so clear in verse 34, I don't know how you can get around this, 
in verse 34 when it says, Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And it could be translated, since I have never known a man. Uh, So uh, what's better, the view we must hold in this text, is uh, God performed a biological miracle. And uh, Mary has a child having never known a man before. Well, that's the setting. Gabriel to the Virgin Mary. That leads to the reveal. Uh, verses 28 through 38. And if you uh, mark in your Bible, you might consider something. If you look at verses 28 through 38, uh, what I've done in my Bible is I've highlighted every time someone is speaking, these two characters, Gabriel and Mary. And what you would find from verses 28 through 38 is that most of your passage would be highlighted. Okay, so, you know, now you you have to count the cost, right, of having a, you know, green and orange Bible at this section, but it helps me remember. What you're going to find is that both characters speak. You'll find that Gabriel, I've highlighted a green in my Bible, Gabriel says far more than Mary. Mary's got a, a few sentences. But that's what's going on in this passage. There's a dialogue. There are exchanges. And I think what you'd also find is there are three exchanges. It goes back and forth three times. Okay, and so we're just going to work through this together. As we're looking at the reveal, the first exchange is verses 28 and 29. It starts with Gabriel. Look at verse 28. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Now, I said Gabriel's got a lot to say. He doesn't say a lot here. It's just an opening greeting, but it's important. I want you to imagine this for a moment. Imagine that an angel appears out of nowhere to you and says, Greetings. A little unsettling, right? I mean, this angel, this is the same angel, Gabriel, who says, uh, and it said of him in the passage before that he was able to behold and be in the presence of God. What a powerful being. Normally that would consume, right? It can just thoroughly consume someone or something. But he actually is able to be in the presence of God in heaven. And now he's standing before her and he says, Greetings, O favored one. Okay, now, O favored one is a word that, from which we get the word grace. Okay, now, there is an important thing to point out here, and that, that is that uh, this is describing Mary as the object of grace. She has received grace from God, not that grace emanates from her, which would be important as a refutation of some denominations who claim that Mary herself was full of grace. She's the object of grace. She's a favored one. She's received grace. And then he says, the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. Which normally would be nothing too unusual. It's not an unusual phrase, but when it's coming from a powerful angel who just came from the presence of God, the text says in verse 29 that this had an effect on Mary. It leaves her disturbed. Look at verse 29. 
But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Oh, favored one, the Lord is with you? What does that mean? Now, notice she doesn't say anything here, which might be a good idea when you're standing in the presence of an angelic being like Gabriel. She just mentally calculating things. There's something on her expression, on her, her brow or in her body that just reveals she's afraid. And she's trying to calculate things out here. That leads to a second exchange, verses 30 through 34. This is where Gabriel will say more. Look at verse 30. It says, And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You've found favor. Not, you're, not, you're not emanating favor. You've found grace with God. Verse 31, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He'll be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. So he starts with like assuring her, and then he makes these amazing predictions about a little baby that she's going to give birth to. We learn things like she's going to have a son. Uh, we're going to call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. That phrase, Most High, is a word that Luke loves to use. He, loses, he uses it here and he loses it, <laughs> loses, uses it in the book of Acts over and over again as well. I think. Luke may have learned this from the Old Testament and King David. King David in the Psalms loved to talk about God as the Most High. This is an extravagant description of God. There is none higher. He's higher than the highest. It's like Holy of Holies. It's like holier than holy. It's the Holy of Holies. He's higher than the highest. He's the Most High. Then Gabriel echoes, I think, a promise from King David in the Davidic covenant. When he uses this expression, the Lord God will give him a throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now, if you're reading that, you might be reading it as an English reader and think, well, there's a lot of repetition here. You know, why is he doing this? It says, you know, that he'll, be a, he'll have a throne, he'll reign, and there'll be a kingdom. You could have just like said it once. Well, when there's repetition like this, you need to stop and you need to ask why. Why is Gabriel doing this? Why does he keep mentioning the same, similar concepts? And, and it could be because he wants to give emphasis to it. Now, I think it might also be because Gabriel has an Old Testament passage on his mind when he says this. And uh, I invite you, now you don't have to turn there, I'll have it here, but the text you can write down is 2 Samuel 7. And I'd encourage you to um, either look in your Bible or look on the screen here as I read this. And, and uh, as we read this, this is written, of course, many, many years, thousands of years before Mary gives birth to Jesus and Gabriel makes this statement, but uh, let me read it to you here. It says, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. 
He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish a throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, he shall be to me a son. When he commits adultery, I'll discipline him with the rod of men, but my steadfast love will not depart from him, And as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. As we think of that Old Testament text, uh, it's uh, the Davidic covenant being restated. And and he's talking, I think, in many parts of the text about a son uh, who will follow David, someone like Solomon. But there are a good portion of that passage that's really looking forward to an ultimate son of David who's going to reign and establish a kingdom that will never, ever fail. It will be forever and ever. And so Gabriel, I think, uh, repeats himself in his prediction because he has the Davidic covenant in mind. Jesus, as I said, is the ultimate son of David who will rule forever. The little baby that's going to be born to Mary will bring the fulfillment of the entire Davidic covenant. What a special baby she's going to have. Okay, That leads to one last exchange. Well, actually, I should stay here in number two. I'm not done with it. That leads Mary to ask a question. Look at verse 34. And Mary said to the angel... How will this be since I'm a virgin? Now, why is Mary going to ask this question, right? And there, there's a whole host of possible explanations. This is, these are her first words. How can this be since I'm a virgin? And as we try to answer motivation in doing this, I think uh, what's important to note is that it seems that Gabriel's announcing an immediate pregnancy and one that will be in no way connected to Joseph or pregnancy through normal means. And so Mary wonders how this will take place because she's never known a man. Now, I think it's important to note that she doesn't do this out of unbelief. Later on in the text, that will be very clear. It will be stated directly in the next scene. She doesn't do this out of unbelief. She's better than Zechariah. Remember Pastor Dan last week speaking on this? And Zechariah hears about the birth. He's an elderly man. And he's, he asks, and it's translated, how can? Mary asks, how will? And I like that translation too. Okay, two different questions. How can it happen? How will it happen? Her question involves how it will work, the mechanics of it. Not unbelief. Not unbelief. That, that leads to one final exchange. So here we get the third exchange, verses 35 through 38. So we start with Gabriel again, verse 35. And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is a sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. So how will it happen? Gabriel explains, the Holy Spirit, the Most High God, will perform a miracle. They will come upon Mary, they will overshadow her. That is, they will create a supernatural miracle 
in her, in her womb, producing a child through extraordinary means. Supernatural birth and conception. In verse 36, Gabriel gives her a sign to authenticate this. Uh, she didn't ask for one. She's not like Zechariah. She learned. Like, I learned last week from Pastor Dan's sermon, I don't want to ask God for a sign. Because I might not like it if he gives it to me. Zechariah can't talk until his baby's born. I'm not asking for a sign. She didn't either. But verse 36 is a sign to authenticate it. Look at verse 36 again. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. That's the son. Mary would not have known, I don't believe, that her relative Elizabeth was with child because Elizabeth had shut herself up in private for six months. So Gabriel reveals, I think, something to her she didn't know, and that is that her much older and formerly barren relative Elizabeth would bear a son to confirm what God was going to do in Mary, Mary's own life. Now, There's one last thing I want to point out about this verse to you, this exchange where Gabriel says this, and that is, uh, I think as Gabriel had formally echoed the Davidic covenant, saying your child's going to be a king forever, he's going to reign and establish that, now I believe he refers to the Abrahamic covenant. You say, well, where do you see that? In the very last phrase, for nothing will be impossible with God. Okay. Now, we're not going to turn back there, but you could write down this reference, Genesis 18, verse 14. In Genesis 18, verse 14, uh, with God and Abram and Sarah, uh, it reads, Is anything too hard for the Lord? Now, the Greek translation of that would read literally this, Is anything impossible for God? Is anything impossible for God? And we know that that's taking place in the Abraham and Sarah narrative where she's elderly and he's elderly and they're, they're impotent. They're not able to have a child. And the question is asked, is anything impossible for God? And what's the implied answer? What is it? No. Or you could say it this way. If you want to just directly state the answer to this, nothing is impossible with God. Which is what Gabriel says. Nothing will be impossible with God. Direct answer. The nature of Elizabeth's conception was miraculous. Following the way that God overcame impotence and barren and elderly Sarah in the Abrahamic covenant. And so um, my perspective on this is by appealing and echoing the Abrahamic and the Davidic covenants, Gabriel could not use more powerful words of expectation and promise or fulfillment. These two babies, John the Baptist and Jesus, will be amazing. Although the birth of Jesus is the more profound miracle, without any precedent anywhere, being born of a virgin, Elizabeth's birth itself will be miraculous following Abraham and Sarah. Well, that leads to one final response from Mary, verse 38, in the third exchange. Let's look at verse 38. Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. 
this assurance gives one final response from Mary in this first scene, and it's, it's a response that is worth emulating. While nothing about Mary's responses in the rest of the scene is wrong, in scene one, uh, this is her brightest moment. And I want to remind you, remember Luke, I, I think Luke's writing this to emphasize the response of Mary at the end of these scenes. Now, Daryl Bach, a commentator in this passage, explained it well. And if you have notes on the handout, we're still on the front. Don't worry, we're going to speed it up a little bit. But at the bottom, there's a quote that comes from Daryl Bach. He says this. He says, Mary is exemplary in the way she responds to God's message of grace. God can do with her whatever he wishes. And I don't want us to lose sight of this, just because it's a familiar text, and we've looked at this. Her response is worth emulating. Mary's got a high view of God, a big view of God, and this big view of God enables her to receive anything that comes from God's hand to her. Mary could have wavered concerning all the possible repercussions this would mean in an ancient time having a child out of wedlock. She could have worried about the criticism and condescension that she would face. She could have feared the rejection of Joseph and the loss of a marriage partner. Instead, what does she do? She submits to God and his plan because she knew he could be trusted. Nothing was impossible for him and he would see her through. Again, Luke, the gospel writer, emphasizes Mary's response In verse 38, she's the Lord's servant and exclaims that she submits to him by trusting God with her whole life. Imagine this, a teenage girl whose life dramatically changes. She hears from an angel and her response, her final determination is, let it be to me according to your will. Perhaps you're wrestling with some relationship or trial or loss of a job, potential loss of a job. I pray that God gives you a big view of himself as well. Might you say, let it be to me according to your will. Perhaps you fear looks of condescension uh, condescension at work for maintaining your faith commitments and being a good witness for Christ, might you say, bring it on. Let it be to me according to your will. Mary's surrender is worth emulating. And I want to challenge each one of us to consider that this morning. Well, that's the initial reveal where Mary learns from Gabriel that she's going to bear the Son of God. And she submits. But uh, the angel leaves and uh, Mary is left in silence all alone. Uh, That leads to the second scene, and it's a lot shorter, the birth announcement that goes from verses 39 through 45. You can turn your handout over to the back. Now, uh, if you were in Mary's spot and you received some miraculous news... um, What do you think you would do next? 
like processes it all, no one's around. She's in this little town in Nazareth by herself. And now I know some of you. Some of you would probably take some time. You would wait and pray and keep it to yourself for a moment or for a while. Like, I don't know if I want to tell anyone this. But I know others of you. Right? Others of you would tell everyone and anything around you. I know some, how some of you are with secrets. What does Mary do? Well, uh, she intends to tell someone about this, and she travels quite a distance to make that happen. Okay, and so I want to look at the second scene, and again, there are two parts to it, uh, like the first scene. There's a setting, verses 39 and 40, and then there'll be uh, another part as well. Look at verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she, she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. So here, uh, in the setting of the second scene, uh, the birth announcement, um, we uh, hear, uh, we get a little bit of background information. We learn that Mary goes on a journey. If you do the math, it's a long journey. It's over 100 miles, which would be actually quite unusual for a young woman to take at this time, quite dangerous for her. But she goes on this journey likely because Gabriel had used the miraculous conception of Elizabeth to confirm what was going to happen in Mary herself, the miracle that would happen. This journey, I think, would take probably three or four days for her to take at least. And so Mary makes her way to her very old and pregnant relative to rejoice in what God is doing. And again, I, I couldn't help but think, and I, I looked for some illustrations of this online. There's really nothing very good. But, um, but I, I, just think of the scene as moment. Uh, two uh, giddy women are excited about what God is doing in their life. One's a teenager and one's very elderly. It's this amazing exchange of miraculous births and you can imagine their conversation. Well, uh, we get a record of what takes place in the response. Um, that's how I would take verses 41 through 45, the response of Elizabeth in those verses. So look at verse 41. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, all right, so you got to stop about this. Think, think about it. When she hears the greeting of Mary, so Mary's like saying something like, hello, good to see you. The baby leaped in her womb. That's uh, in Elizabeth's womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, and the baby in my womb leaped, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Now, I want to point out a few things here about Elizabeth's response, like two major thoughts here. First, I want to point out that both Elizabeth and her baby, the baby in her womb that's six months along, future John, you know, well, John the Baptist, both uh, Elizabeth and the baby are filled with the Spirit. Uh, earlier, if you remember, up in Luke chapter 1, verse 15, just look up in verse 15, we learn that the baby was filled with the Spirit. Uh, 
which is uh, abnormal from birth. But look at verse 15. For he will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Unusual statement. Someone's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God from the womb. And here you have an example, I believe, uh, or an illustration of the very fact that this little baby is filled with the Holy Spirit even while in the womb. Here, John the Baptist's first prophetic moment comes when his eyes aren't even formed yet. Think about this. He's about one pound if if it's on the average of a six-month pregnancy. He's about one pound, 12 inches tall, and he leaps in the womb for joy. This little prophet can't yet tell people that God's Son has come into the world. And since he can't speak, he leaps. Very vivid Greek term. He skips. Something like that. In the womb. Imagine that. Those of you who are mothers... Uh, just something's going on in the womb. It's pretty, pretty amazing. But he's not the only one filled with the Spirit. Elizabeth is filled with God's Spirit. And the text brings that out very clearly. So that she sings a song. She gives a hymn in response, a prophetic hymn in response. If you, and if you look at it closely, you can learn a few things here that are important right before we close. Elizabeth... Uh, issues a double blessing at the beginning of this passage. Mary is blessed by God. God's revealed that to Elizabeth. And so is the child of her womb. The fruit of her womb is also blessed. Elizabeth knows that Mary is the most blessed woman in the entire world. Then Elizabeth marvels in the middle that she's been privileged to see the Lord's mother come to visit her. And then Finally, Elizabeth speaks again about God's blessing upon Mary. And what I want you to see is she describes her this way. The, Mary, the one who believed that God would certainly fulfill what he had spoken to her. See, Mary is fortunate because she believed what God told her. This stands in stark contrast to the initial Response of Zechariah when he hears Gabriel in, in verse 20. And you could look at that verse some other time. But from Mary's response, we learn, I think, the most important Christmas lesson. And that is that God blesses those who believe in him and in his promise of salvation that would come through the birth of his son. In other words, just to be clear, I want to say this. Mary is an example, a superlative example, a wonderful example of believers who will follow after her. Of people throughout the years who also hear the same reveal and birth announcement and who believe it. Who believe it. And so as we close, I ask you this question. How about you? Will you too believe these events we're describing here in the Gospel of Luke? Do you believe an angel came and announced that God's Son would be born to the Virgin Mary? 
And will you too be joyous in this? Think of the excitement and the joy of those moments, Mary and Elizabeth. And for those of us who do believe these things to be true, I think the Christmas season for us should be a time of great joy as well. Men and women, these things indeed happened. They're recorded for us in the Holy Scripture. And I want to encourage you to believe it and enjoy it this Christmas season. Let's pray together. As we go to prayer, first, I just ask you to consider, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do you believe that God sent his son into the world to save sinners? It's been my prayer all week that some here would believe, that uh, really, actually, I've been praying that every single person here would believe this. Perhaps you've never done so before, but when you see Mary's response, you see, blessed is she who believed. And it's as if God is compelling you, calling you to believe. Would you believe in the name of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, to be saved from your sins today? Perhaps there's some of my brothers and sisters in the Lord who heard Mary's first determined response. Let it be to me according to your word. And honestly, this week, for some reason, you're just wrestling with the potential of what God's will might mean for you right now. Would you be willing to surrender in this moment and say to God, let it be according, let it be to me according to your will. Let it be to me according to your will. Finally, may God give us the grace to enjoy all of this this Christmas season. Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful for these true events happened 2,000 years ago regarding the Virgin Mary, the angel Gabriel, and then later her her elderly relative Elizabeth. Lord, help us learn from Mary's response. Help us be overwhelmed with her baby, the future Jesus, who would be the king, who would reign forever, who would fulfill Davidic and Abrahamic promises. Lord, I pray this Christmas season would be one of joy for us. Joy, just like we heard a birth announcement. It's like we heard an initial reveal. But Lord, even more than that, one that is so significant, it saves sinners. Lord, thank you for this time. Pray that you would um, be with uh, our service as we close in a final song. Pray that you'd be honored. In Jesus' name, amen.